This is Francisco Romero. You're listening to Strolls Across the Globe. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 11 of Strohs Across the Globe, the podcast presenting an international view on the Houston Astros, brought to you in association with Apollo Media as part of the Apollo Podcast Network, all Houston, all original. I'm your host George Martin, also known as at Astros Fans UK on Twitter and similarly on other platforms. I'm delighted to have another superb Astros guest for you today on the show, the main man behind the Houston Astros Spanish ball game radio broadcast on KLAT 1010am, Francisco Romero. Speaking with Francisco was a real honour as I was able to take a closer look at his quite extraordinary careers, plural, to date. Before that, however, I must take a moment to assess the Astros' season so far as we enter the latter half of the month of May. Having just completed a four-game sweep of the Texas Rangers at Minute Maid Park, making it six straight wins and nine from the last 11, it feels like this long homestand may just have set this team off on a significant role in terms of the season. Whilst the road games this year have brought their predictable share of the Boo Boys and tired trash can references, incredible standout moments like Jose Altuve's recent wonderful game-winning three-run home run at Yankee Stadium are emblematic of the 2021 Astros' powers of resilience. The team are at or near the top in a variety of offensive stat categories and no one has been more impressive than Yuli Gurriel, with La Pina showing there is plenty of life left in the old dog yet. Couple that with Kyle Tucker finally finding some Babip luck, Altuve's 11-game hitting streak, Jordan Alvarez's continuing maturity and versatility at the plate, Alex Bregman having his best start to a season ever, and then, with the pitching prowess of Lance McCullers, in particular, Jose Akidi, hopefully not on the IL for long, and Christian Javier, with Framber Valdez still waiting to come back, this Astros team looks mighty dangerous. The middle relief out of the bullpen can still be a little patchy at times, but with us right alongside the Oakland A's on 24 wins and 17 losses, who we play next on the road this week, I think we are well set in the AL West as it stands with things really starting to click. Back on to today's show and I'm really excited for you to hear my conversation with Francisco Romero. After a quick look at Francisco's thoughts on the Astros season so far and the standout performers, I was keen to find out more about the Spanish language Astros broadcast which he fronts so excellently. We take a delve into the breakdown of the listenership across the countries of the Latin world and their connection with this wonderfully vibrant, greatly Hispanic-infused Astros team. Following this, we focus on Romero's preparation for ball games, how the dynamic of working in broadcasting has changed during the pandemic, and what his advice is for youngsters looking to make it in the broadcast field in the modern age. This leads on to discussion of Francisco Romero's career development, how he was able to take advantage of the opportunities that arose whilst he was engaged in an almost dizzyingly wide-ranging scope of careers before assessing the state of life in Major League Baseball for Hispanic players compared with that of the past, and a stark look at the failures of many clubs to even employ a full-time Spanish broadcast arm. Eye-opening stuff, truly. Please do, as ever, keep that feedback coming for Strohs Across the Globe. After you listen to this episode, I would be enormously appreciative if you can subscribe, rate and especially review Strohs Across the Globe on the podcast platform to which you listen to it. Keep spreading the word and I will keep doing my best to give you all the very best content I possibly can. It's time for a brief message from Apollo Media, but stay right where you are with Strohs Across the Globe for my chat with Francisco Romero coming up. This is absolutely not one to be missed. Don't go anywhere. 
Welcome back to Strays Across the Globe. Without any further ado, I'm delighted to be able to present to you my latest extremely special guest on the show, the voice of the Houston Astros Spanish broadcasts. Having been part of the club since 2008, a legendary figure behind the microphone, none other than the one and only Francisco Romero. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? Doing very well. First of all, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure and uh, I'm very happy. Thank you for inviting me. No worries. The pleasure is very much all mine. I think the best place to start is where we are in this 2021 season with the Astros. So what's your view on what's been a fairly interesting, well, it's been an interesting start across the whole of Major League Baseball with no one really taking a dominant position in any of the divisions, to be quite honest. I mean, the, the Astros are now standing at 18 and 17. What, what are your thoughts on this 2021 team? Well, on the, uh, particularly in the Astros, it's, it's a very good team. I know that one of the factors in any sports is injuries. And I think we've hit the injury bug a little bit with some of the pitchers. But uh, it's a very complete team. If you look at our lineup, the core of the lineup, uh, it's very strong with um, Altuve, Correa, Bregman, Alvarez, Tucker, and Gurriel, who's having a great season. Yeah. And on the pitching side, well, let's wait for Enoli Paredes, uh, Paredes to come back. And then Scrub came back. And Framber Valdez is going to be key. But we've also discovered... Emmanuel, who's done very well. Solomon, who's who will be doing very well. So on that end, uh, once we get uh, Paredes back and Framber Valdez, I think we we will be pretty much uh, complete and hopefully get us some more wins. Definitely, I think part of the difficulty for fans this year is to try and separate the expectations for 2021 from what we had. Well, 2017, 18, and 19, especially when we had this team, which was an absolute powerhouse, a juggernaut that was pretty much just destroying everything in its path. And it's hard to readjust after that. I think this team is a very, very good team. And I think it, it would be a shame if if people let the expectations get sort of out of control and, and don't give this team their, their, their due. Because like you said, we have a a lot of young pitchers, obviously, following last year and the emergence of so many different rookies that came through. And I think they've, they've shown already this year that they're handling the spotlight with fans there very admirably. I mean, how do you view that unit doing so far this year? Look, um, with, the, with the emergence of, um, we should say, uh, uh, Jose Urquidi and then the dominance mm. of Christian Javier, who was nominated for the Rookie of the Year last year, and uh, and then when Framber comes back, and then Grinky's Grinky, you know, but um, they should be pretty solid. Of course, the expectations change from year to year, but the Astros have been pretty consistent. Now, let Miss Diaz, who is uh, on the bench and he can cover everybody, anybody at any certain point, uh, will be a big difference because he's been successful coming off the bench and and, and getting some key hits. But uh, in regards to expectations, since you mentioned that. We should have high expectations because of the, the kind of talent we have. Mm. Now, che- check out um, Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez, he doesn't strike out a lot. He strikes out, but uh, not a lot. He's very patient at the play. And the thing that I like about him is that he's not only about home runs. He gets the ball in play. If it's an outside pitch, he'll go with the pitch, go to the, go to, go the other way. Mm. And so he, what, what we call him in the broadcast, he's, he's a batter. He's a, he's a true batter. And he's just a power in the lineup. And so that gives the actors a lot of options. And, and you know, during the rally or during uh, in, in the offense, uh, he's a very good uh, uh, with the stick. So, so, so we should have high expectations because of uh, who we have right now. Of course, it's not the same team as the 2017 no, or 18. No, yeah. 
or 19, but for that matter. But the core is there. And I think uh, Brent Strom, the pitching coach, has done a great job with the young kids. And we, I watched Luis Garcia last night. He, there were a couple of hiccups, but he's got talent. So, you know, give him some airtime, as we as we say, some time on the field, and uh, we should see a, a, a pretty good team. I think we can end up, you know, I think we'll end up uh, definitely in the playoffs. Absolutely. I think before the season started, my personal opinion was that this team was going to win around 90-91 games, which I think will be enough to win the division. It's a more competitive division this year than we've seen in recent years. I think that the other teams will take a lot of wins off each other. I don't think there's going to be necessarily one particularly dominant rival. I know that the A's have rebounded from their poor start, but I, I do I do think that there will be a lot of sort of attritional series between the, the teams in the West and that the Mariners will, will certainly get their fair share of wins off others as well. Just touching on what you mentioned there, Jordan Alvarez, what a talent. I think I'm glad you mentioned about how he's a more complete hitter than just some home run slugger, bomber, etc. I think he he's someone who has the potential to go on and be an absolute legend. I know it sounds early days to say that, but he has the, looking at his career numbers through what is it, 117 games compared to other players and particularly all time greats through their starts to their careers. I think the sky's the limit for him. Would you say that's right? No, I think you're right. And you know what, what I missed, uh, I didn't mention, you're, you're absolutely right, the way uh, his running abilities. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's got a long stride. Mm. And that, uh, I mean, we've seen a triple already. <laughs> yeah. <true>. But, uh, <laughs> but he's very good in, on the basis. So that you just add that up. Now, he hasn't been getting much attention from the national press. Now he's getting a little bit more. You mentioned some of his numbers compared to the legends. They've come through Major League Baseball, mm. and little by little, he's getting more attention. But he should be up there. And I don't want to speak too soon, but uh, no, no, he should no, be yeah. a good MVP candidate, to be honest with you. It feels like he's under the radar still, which is, which is, I mean, I'm glad because it just it kind of takes the heat off and the pressure off him. But it's, it's strange because I feel like maybe, maybe it's because of the Astros potentially having the, the slightly obviously negative profile these days. I don't know whether it's that or whether it's just people aren't watching him. It's, it's strange because I feel like if, if if he was playing for another team, this guy would be marketed as a superstar already. But like um you look you know you look at someone like okay, different player, but Juan Soto and someone who's again an incredible hitter, but he has all the the kind of uh, not the hype, hype is the wrong word, but the kind of attention and the the focus which, honestly, if, if, if Jordan keeps up the form that he's in and delivers with, with the kind of results that he has been so far and continues to do so, I think he surely is someone who would become one of the faces of baseball. And that sounds like a big, you know, a big call to make at this stage of his career. But I just love what I see from him. I love everything about his attitude out there. And I think he's got the potential to even be a leader of this team in the future. Yeah, I think so, too. He's a quiet guy, but uh, he does attacking talking with his back. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, he, he will he will definitely get the attention from uh, from mm-hmm. the press because uh, yeah, he's a little bit under the radar, which you mentioned it's good and, and it's good. I think he uh, doing the talk uh, with with your bat is something else, and I think he does that very very well. And I just can't wait to see what kind of number he he, he puts up with the uh, five hundred six hundred bats. Exactly. As long as he stays healthy, as long as his knees, which look to be good so far, touch wood, hold up. I think that's exactly what we're all looking to see is just that consistent production and, and taking this team to new heights. Obviously, having lost George Springer to get Jordan Alvarez back is a massive boost. And I think that's something which the team will, will benefit from enormously. 
I mentioned uh, a moment ago thinking that Jordan Alvarez will eventually blossom into a leader of this team, like I said, even if not necessarily a vocal one. I think one of the great things about this Astros team over the last few years has been that we've been blessed with these leaders and particularly from the Latin world, as in you're looking at Jose Altuve, you're looking at Carlos Correa and and, and, and players of that ilk, which we've been very lucky to have. I mean, dealing with the, the Spanish radio broadcast side of things, it must be something which fills you with great pride seeing them represent the club in such a way. Yes, I remember, I remember Altuve uh, coming into the clubhouse back in July 20th, 2011. Hmm. And, um, you know, he looked like a deer with the headlights on him. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, and then watching him grow, having called most of his at-bats, most of his heads, it's been a pleasure. And in the Latin community, community he's been well-received. I mean, um, and then throughout his career, obviously the couple, last couple of years have, have been, you know, some 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 fans are, are angry because yeah. their, their yeah. team couldn't win at all, <laughs> and ours did. Mm. But uh, to say the least, he's he's he, it's been a pleasure calling his games in Yuli Gurriel on the Latin side. But the thing I like the most is that um, how everybody, no matter where you're from, the team meshes together very well. Like Garrett Cole was good, very good friend with yeah. uh, with mm-hmm. with Altuve. And and check out Bregman. Bregman's yeah. Spanish now. <laughs> I love seeing him with Yuli Gurriel. This is a it's a fantastic bond that they've developed. Uh, I, I, honestly, uh, it's one of the things which, like you said, as a fan, you love to see it, and it gives you that sort of human element to to, to this, the team and gives you something to latch onto. Yes, it's very neat to watch him in the clubhouse and to watch him, you know, do their thing outside of the the, the game. And so they the chemistry has been there, and it has been there since. 2014, 2015, I've seen it grow, and uh, you know I've seen it from from our perspective, and so it uh, it is very neat. It's uh, it's something very very neat to see that how these Latin players and uh, the American players and uh, have gotten together and, and made a good team and made a good run, and so we have been so lucky here in Houston that we since 2014, 15, mm-hmm. we've had a lot of pleasure, you know, calling the games and also having winning teams. Yeah, it's been a special time for us as fans as well. I think we always have to cherish these moments because we know they won't last forever, not to look at it in a negative outlook, but it's, it's, it's something which we must be grateful for having these players. I mean, speaking specifically about Jose Altuve, for me personally, an enormous inspiration. I, I look at his story coming from Venezuela and you know the, the, the famous story about he was t- you know turned away from the tryouts, but he came back and then and he never gave up and he kept pursuing it kept working harder and harder and I look at you know I look at even the last week when we were playing uh, against the Yankees and obviously he was getting that in my opinion uh, completely unjust very very vitriolic reaction from the crowd and then he stands up in the third game of that series and hits that three-run home run and I think that's exactly what Jose Altuve is all about this man is someone who I am enormously proud to have representing our club he must be a privilege to be able to sort of see him in that close context every, every time you do. Indeed it is. And actually, having talked to his parents, uh, seeing him with his little girls and his wife as mm. a family man, it's been a, um, pretty neat watching him. But again, like you said, and, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, Altuve didn't only inspire um, players or kids in Houston. He inspired people all over the world, uh, to say the least. And uh, I have friends in, in LA and uh, Arizona who their kids, uh, 
their favorite player is Jose Altuve because he he means so much to uh, what some people would uh, would give up on. You know, like you said, he was denied on that tryout and, and, and because of his height or for whatever reason. But <clears throat> so he gave hope to people who think that they may not make a team or they may not do something because of whatever reason. And Altuve is uh, truly an inspiration. And not only to baseball, but that in life, to whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. If you work hard at it, you will get to do what you want. Absolutely. I think that's um, he is emblematic of that attitude, which, like I said, is very transferable to other things outside of baseball. Just a, a brilliant outlook to take. Moving on from Latin players to more the, the Latin listenership of Spanish radio broadcasts. And my question here Naturally, this obviously you must get a massive portion of that in Mexico. But I was wondering, outside of that, do you, are you aware of which countries specifically? I'm guessing Venezuela for the Altuve influence, but outside of there potentially, what other countries have the highest proportion of, of listeners for you? You know what? We we get um, messages from all over the world, but I think the listenerships are from obviously Venezuela, Mexico, uh, Central America. But we also get some listeners that from from uh, from Brazil, and then some uh, who are in the in the armed forces who speak cool. Spanish, they, mm-hmm. and they call us from Italy or from other parts of the world. So now with the internet, and you know with the games available on the MLB app, it's pretty neat to to read when people let us know where they where, where they're listening to. So. That's a pretty special thing, and so, uh, yeah, from from all over the places. But uh, yeah, Latin America and uh, Venezuela and Nicaragua listens to us a lot, and uh, Costa Rica also, and uh, obviously from Mexico. But uh, but it's pretty neat to hear, or t- for people to let you know where they're listening from. Definitely, I think uh, particularly with what I'm doing here, my show. This is called Strolls Across the Globe, and I am very very keen on connecting. Astros fans all over the planet. Uh, you know, I've had fans from Australia, from Brazil, from uh, Spain, from pretty Canada, pretty pretty much wherever, wherever you name. It. Obviously, many here in, in England as well. And I, I love to hear that you, you've got that connection with listeners in all these different countries around the well, not just like I said, not just Latin America, but further afield as well. It, it's always a, a goal of mine. To try and connect people more. Uh, I, I don't know what what the club's kind of view is on that. I don't know. If, do you guys have any have much involvement with that side of things, or is it more? Um... You know what we we do. MLB does, and I, I haven't looked at it um, with detail, but uh, uh, but yes, they they uh, they have. Uh, I think um, they. Ha- I need to find out to let you know. If they can tell us from what countries because I think they will, they do have it, but I'll, I'll find out and let you know what. The, what Sounds good. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I'm just very, very keen on spreading that gospel of, of the Astros as far and wide as possible. Let's move on slightly from talking about mm-hmm. where your listeners are to more the actual experience and, and what you have to do in your preparation for each day. I mean, I guess a good place to start with would be today. I mean, what's your game day routine for a broadcast such as today's game against the Angels? Well, now with COVID, uh, um, the routine, we don't talk to the players on... Uh, on um, one-on-one in person, so we do Zoom. And today, mm-hmm. there was a direction from MLB that I think starting next week or or starting today, I guess, we're going to be able to talk to, to interview the players in person 
They'll nice. be on the field. We'll be behind the screen, and we have to be six feet apart. Mm-hmm. And but we'll, we'll we have to request uh, uh, beforehand. So I think we'll be we'll, we'll start we'll be starting to interview them. But in regards to my routine, we do the Zoom meetings, and then after that, I get to the ballpark, I get the game notes, you know, check out uh, the other team who's pitching, talk to my broadcast partner Alex, and uh, talk about uh, the, the the starting pitchers. And then, uh, and then we'll go on to the broadcast. But basically, it's mostly homework about it. Uh, the team's uh, injured players, who's there, who came up, who went down, if there's any milestones, things that we can talk on the radio. And then we, I mean, at least for myself, I read a bunch of articles of last night's games, mm-hmm. of what happens, personal stories. And, and so we try to incorporate all that. But once we get to the ballpark, we get the game notes and then the... We get started to broadcast. Now, before COVID, we'd get to the ballpark around 3 o'clock because the locker rooms were open from like 2.50 to 3.30. And then the manager's meeting is around 4 o'clock. And then we go up and, and, and you know, and, and do the lineups, our, our preparation, stuff like that. But with COVID, we do the meetings through Zoom and the interviews through Zoom. And then we go and do our preparation uh, after that. Have you found uh, adjusting to that from face to face prior to the pandemic? Uh, how, how do you find interviewing people over Zoom? Is it a challenge? Is it something which hasn't made a great deal of an impact, or is it something you don't mind? Do mind? No, I prefer the one on one because you get to know the player more on a personal mm. level. Because when you have the one on one and you're in the locker room, sometimes you start by uh, not even during the interview, you start by talking about other things other than baseball. Yeah, and yeah. like, oh, I took my kid today to the doctor, or you know, uh, at school, my mm. kid did this or did that, or stuff like that, or maybe about something about a car or you <laughs> know, more more personal stuff. That then then you start with the interview, so you get to you get to uh, talk to them a little bit more. Like I usually would like to ask uh, Gurriel about his parents and how they're doing and Altuve and stuff like that. So uh, so it's a lot better when you're one one in person. In Zoom, you know how you have like the uh, twelve, fifteen other journalists. You have to go. Yeah, to less personal, definitely. I can, yeah. I, I can appreciate that would be quite a. Sort but of- I, I love to. Um, it's from time to time I ask uh, Dusty a question in Spanish, uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, Dusty Baker is a very, very interesting guy. I would love to have him on the show. I, I do hope I get the chance to have him here because, uh, from from what I understand, he. Could he could tell stories for years about from baseball and just and just from life in general? It must be a privilege to be able to break things down with him because he's such an entertaining guy. Yes, yes, and uh, and I watched him as a kid. So when I was growing up, Dusty Baker was yeah. covering left field for the Dodgers, <laughs> which that's pretty cool. And so he talks about that, and he talks about his family in Mexico. You know, his kid plays for Cal, so it's pretty cool stuff being around Dusty and and Brent Strom. Brent Strom is uh, one of the smartest uh, guys I have ever met in, when it comes to baseball. Brent Strom, uh, it's, uh, I, I had a chance to travel with Brent Strom in February to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And so I spent a couple of days with Brent Strom, and uh, he's, got, he's got some great stories. He's a, what you know was that, that like? A, it, oh, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. It felt too short <laughs> over time. But uh, Brent Strom was the second pitcher to get the Tommy John surgery. Tommy John yep. was the first one. He was the second one. 
Yeah, I heard that. I think it was on the English commentary was Jeff Blum said it was lucky that he wasn't the first because it wouldn't be TJ surgery. You would be <laughs> if it was uh, Brent Strong. So, uh, yeah, I think that was that was a, a very be a surgery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I do love a bit of Blummer. But yeah, Brent Strong, your host. A wealth of knowledge, and he's been such an enormous jewel in the crown for this club since he joined. Uh, I remember reading a piece online when he joined saying how special his knowledge set was, and he's absolutely proven that in spades since he started. I, I hope that we can keep him as long as we can. Obviously, he's not getting any younger, but at the same time, he's very much still at the peak of his powers, so hopefully we can keep him as part of the Astros' setup. Exactly. Yeah, so he's... He's a, he's a great guy. He's just a, an awesome guy all around. Yeah. Moving on, I want to have a little focus on your career. Obviously, you've been with the Astros for a very long time now, and you recently celebrated your, is it your 2000th broadcast. Is that correct? Exactly. Congratulations on that. Oh, thank you so much. 2000 broadcast games with the, with the Astros, yes. 2008 was my first one. It was against the Padres. Back in 2008, when we were in the National League, mm-hmm. but yeah, with the Astros, it's been uh, 2,000 games on the air. I mean, that's an incredible achievement. I think, um, obviously, with having you've also broadcasted for with the Diamondbacks, Brewers, Twins, Reds, and Royals. Exactly. So I broadcasted for six teams. Yeah, wealth of experience. I, I started um, three broadcasts in Spanish uh, mm. from the from their beginning, which was the the Royals, who we did a game, Alex and I, their first Spanish games ever. The Cincinnati Reds and the Milwaukee Brewers. I mean, that is a, an enormous achievement and feather in your cap to be able to say that because it's something which you, you're helping spread the good word of the game. You're helping get more people involved and you're presenting it to a much wider audience. And I want to take, take a look back even further. When you were growing up, when did you first realize that this is what you wanted to do? Well, I grew up in Nogales, Mexico until I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And we listened to... We, we, we follow the Dodgers. We would always follow the Dodgers because of Fernando Valenzuela. Mm-hmm. And we moved in, in the middle of the summer. We moved to Tucson, Arizona. And so we couldn't hear the games. We couldn't find them in Spanish. So one day my brother said, hey, Pancho. He called me Pancho. Yeah. He goes, um, the Dodgers are on, on the radio. I go, really? You don't even know English. I go, you don't even speak English. How do you know? <laughs> and then we started listening to the games and it was like, Ron Say, Dusty Baker, you know, uh, Lopes, Garvey. Oh, yeah, that's not the Dodgers. So from there, we started listening to the games. And uh, actually, I learned a little bit of English from the broadcast. From there on, I said, oh, man, I would love to be part of Major League Baseball one day. So at age 12, that's when it all started. Wow. No, from age 12. And then uh, it just went on. I, I have a degree in political science from the University of Arizona. I used to work in politics and public health. In environmental health, and then there was the opportunity to work for. No, the Diamondbacks came into the picture, so I said, "Oh, I want to work there." And so I started working on TV. A friend of mine, I was working in, in, in environmental health, and then I started as a hobby working on TV for uh, Telemundo, which was very small in Tucson at that time. But uh, so my goal was to go work for the D-backs. So I applied, and I didn't have any experience, so I didn't get the job. But I got the job of director of Hispanic marketing for the Triple A team, the Tucson Sidewinders. And then I, I, I left politics in the county and I left the environmental health and I left the board of health to go into, and I left public health basically to go into sports. And that's where it all started. And the D backs hired me uh, to replace or to broadcast for a guy who 
for Oscar Soria, who he didn't get his visa yet. So I said, hey, would you cover for him? So I did cover for him, and then I went into production. And from there, just took off, started broadcasting college football and basketball for the University of Arizona. And then got go, uh, from the Tucson Sidewinders, I went to go work full-time as a sportscaster. And then I got to work for the Twins, the Reds. And, you know, TV was my full-time job. But then, uh, and then I also got hired by the Arizona Cardinals to broadcast their halftime report. And then I have also done a little bit of a Phoenix Suns. They took me to Mexico when they played in Mexico City to produce uh, social media content for them. And I did a few uh, um, MLS games, so I've also worked for the MLS. <laughs> so wow. I've been, I've been uh, a little bit of a... That is extremely impressive. I mean, to have such a, a wide-ranging resume and to have so many different, like I said before, like so, so many different feathers to your cap, to say that you've done this, you've done that. I mean, that sums up the high regard that you're held in and the wealth of experience that you have, which you bring to Astros broadcast now. I mean, that's an interesting career change to, to go from what you were studying to, to be able to make that break into television side of things and then progress from there. I mean, was it an opportunity that arose or did you kind of pursue it? No, it, it was just opportunities that, that came by. Check this out. I was working, I had a very comfortable job with the uh, Pima County. I was the director of a project uh, through the Environmental Protection Agency because I did a fellowship after I got my degree in environmental justice and talk about environmental public health and stuff like that. So mm. from that, uh, the county recruited me to work in a project by the Environmental Protection Agency with a grant to do outreach and education in regards to household hazardous waste in the community. Mm -hmm. So I was directing this program about um, public health and, and focusing on, on, on household hazardous waste. But then a buddy of mine who was working as a cameraman in Telemundo, he said, hey, the guy who does sports for a show on Monday and Fridays left. So, hey, would you like to, you know, he goes, you talk a lot and you know sports, you want to try? So I said, wow. okay, cool, I'll try. <laughs> And by that time, I had a, I knew that the D-backs were going to be a franchise. So I said, oh, mm -hmm. I, I better get in there if I want to work for a sports team. So my goal to go into TV was actually to be a broadcaster. But that was my the first step I took. And I took advantage of Tucson because at one point in time, I was the only one doing sports on radio or TV in that town. Mm -hmm. I was the only one. And so I grew up very big. And so I... I I stayed on TV for 11 years. And actually, right now, I still do a little bit of freelance for Televisa in Mexico uh, to cover border issues and stuff like that. So I get to cover, uh, you know, border issues. I've been into drug tunnels at the border and wow. stuff like that. So that's, yeah, I'll send you some links from my YouTube channel. Yeah, please some do. Of the stories, some of the stories I've done. <laughs> No, that, I mean, again, that, that, to say it's fascinating doesn't do it justice. And that's sort of real life on top of baseball life. As you've ticked all the boxes and, and getting experience everywhere. I take my hat off to you to be able to achieve that and, and take advantage of those opportunities and, and solidify it as, as your own and then expand and, and develop things. That's incredibly impressive. It's very admirable as an approach to take. A quick question. Having such an enormous amount of experience, both in the field as a television and radio broadcasting, what do you prefer if you had to choose one? You know what? I prefer, when it comes to news, I prefer TV. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to radio, I prefer doing what I'm doing, baseball broadcast. Because I've never done radio as a disc jockey 
Yeah. Or I've never had a, well, we had a, a radio show for the University of Arizona. But when it comes to play-by-play, -play, and I've also done play-by-play -play on TV, I, I prefer radio. Uh, when it comes to news, I prefer uh, television. But play-by-play uh, -play on radio, I think it's fun because you have to paint the picture and you have to, mm. you know, use a lot of cliches or words or phrases. So I really enjoy that part of, of that, of what I'm doing right now. Absolutely. I guess with radio, you are everyone's eyes and ears at the ballpark. So you're, like I said, you're you are the artist creating that picture, in, in making that mental image in in the listeners' minds. Uh, I was speaking to last year to Robert Ford, obviously also of the Astros, to get his view on things. And I was wondering what your thoughts were in terms of advice you would give to broadcasters, so broadcasters, commentators, play-by-play uh, -play announcers, etc., starting out, what sort of things would you advise to them on uh, how best to approach it and prepare for it? Well, with the, with the technology nowadays, what I advise young people who want to get into the business is to start mm. right now. And you can start with a, a, a telephone, a tripod, and a mic, and a light, because you can uh, have your own YouTube channel and just start broadcasting Mm. That, that I mean, nowadays it's a lot different from before, and so I think it's pretty neat that you can start today if you want, you know. And uh, I look at the tapes from my first TV broadcast or as a sportscaster, and I'm like, wow, how did they hire me? <laughs> 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 so, I wouldn't have hired myself, but <laughs> then you get to get experience. And so that's that's what my advice is: is start right now, hmm. even with the YouTube channel, and uh, and just go from there. Because uh, you can be on the air today if you want. That's the beauty of technology. Absolutely. Part of what I do, I'm also involved with a group called MLB UK Community. We're always looking to advance and progress and develop the profile of Major League Baseball in Britain, where naturally it's not the most popular sport, but there is a, a sort of a small but but quite dedicated fan base, which we're always looking to expand. And I think all of us have our own, for example, I do the Astros UK side of things. Each one of the major league teams has uh, an unofficial like Twitter or Instagram, etc., account, which has uh, a fan or fans running it. And we, yeah, we all have our own either podcasts or shows or other ventures, etc. which I completely agree with you. This, this is an age where people can get engaged and involved in the sport independently to a degree that's never been seen before and I think it's a very entertaining arena to be part of because you see all these different opinions five see people having their sort of day-by-day -day game breakdowns etc and, and you can really expand your profile doing that so I'm, I'm glad to hear that you, that's sort of what you would be advising younger people looking to make their mark in the field the, but by doing such a thing in such a way you mentioned about how your sort of early broadcast, you, you sort of look back at it and kind of maybe cringe a little bit because it's not quite as polished as et cetera as you would be now. With, with regards to how you judge your performance or whatever you want to call it, but how you judge your broadcast, how, how, how do you judge yourself? How do you, do, you, do you listen back to yourself or what do you, what do, you do? Yeah, I'm, I'm my worst critic and I have to listen because I am the only one who... Uh, uh, will be very, very truthful. I have to be very truthful to myself and, and listen to it and see, hey, do I like this? Do I, what do I do? What can I do better? Yeah. And, and uh, sometimes MLB puts the, our highlights and sometimes I'm like, oh man, that, that, that didn't sound like a highlight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, and, and it's because in baseball, sometimes we get caught talking about 
something and then boom there goes a hit mm. and, and so you know i'm like so i have to tweak my broadcast from time to time in order to give the people the excitement they want to hear when when we're broadcasting so i am and you should be your own your own worst critic and i am my own worst critic but i also have to be um i have to be truthful uh to myself and not just uh um you know just because i'm on the air say okay i already made it because that's not i don't think that's the way it works and you have to give your best every single night because there's people there's people who are listening to you and, and and you're taking away their time and if you're not doing your best you're wasting their time and it's not fair for even if it's only one listener so Absolutely. you have to so you have to work at your craft as best you can and that's what i try to do every night be the best one and so they asked me who's the best broadcaster in Spanish in Major League Baseball. Well, I say I am, because that's who I want to be. That's what I want to be, whether I am or not. But that's I love what I'm that. shooting for. Yeah, I love that. That's a, that's a really good attitude to take to it. On that subject, who were your inspirations when you were well, both as a child and also when you were making your way through the ranks, well, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I listened to Vince Scully when I didn't even know who Vince Scully was. Mm -hmm. And I listened to Jaime Harrin. I love his voice. It's, it, it, that's one of the things I really like, the, the voices of, of broadcasters. Because when I was a little kid, I would listen to one in Nogales, Mexico. Who, he passed away. And his voice with the combination of how he described the game was just perfect. <laughs> it was perfect harmony. And so, uh, you know, Vince Scully was that way. And I never knew who, that he was already a big-time broadcaster when I started listening to him. Jaime Jardín was that way with his voice. And there's other other broadcasters who are Bob Costas. I love Bob Costas because mm. in the Olympics, he can do any sports. And you think that that was his favorite sport. <laughs> so those are the people I look up to. Definitely. That versatility, I think, is impressive. And as, as you were saying, with regards to your own career, having covered so many different sports and having so many different things that you, you've done sports-wise. What do you say are the biggest challenges as a radio broadcaster? What do you find the, the most difficult things to, to overcome? Well, the most difficult things are the opportunities for, for Spanish broadcasters. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes uh, when, the, you know, the, um, I guess people don't speak the language, they don't know that, what kind of talent you have. Yeah, and so, and then, and with the economy, sometimes a lot of the posts were were cut, uh, economic problems. But I guess those are our biggest challenges. That uh, in the United States is a country where sometimes the tradition of baseball is listening to baseball on radio in any you know the language you grew up mm -hmm. in, and so uh, those are the kind of challenges that that I see. The opportunities that are that that are, that are there that sometimes they don't take advantage of of our talents to to get those opportunities. So I am lucky to be employed by the Astros because I'm a full time employee, and uh, not all base uh, not all MLB teams have their Spanish broadcasters as full time employees. So I'm really appreciative of that they do take advantage of our talents and appreciate what we do, and so that that's a very big plus, and I will be forever grateful with them. But there's only very few teams who employ their broadcasters full time. How many are there, roughly? I mean, I'm not, not asking for the exact number if you're not sure, but like roughly how many of the 30 teams do? On top of my head, of full time employees, I think it's it's the Astros, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, I think Padres. Um, 
who else? Uh, I think there's five or six among those are those four. There's a couple more that I don't come to my mind, but uh, but not all of them employing full time. The other ones broadcast 40 games, 30 games, weekend games, and stuff like that. So I'm very lucky to be one of the few who is employed full time. That's interesting. Do you think that's because of like glass ceilings or outdated attitudes, or is it because there's a lack of? Uh, because surely it's not lack of interest. That would make no sense because there is a, obviously you know there's a massive Latin support base for baseball in general, but uh, across the sport. What, why do you think that is that they they don't employ full time Spanish broadcasters? I, I think it's because um, it's a lack of understanding that that the market will not listen to them or and, and they're not taking advantage. I, I one of the things that I did also for Telemundo was I was in sales, mm-hmm. and and so I learned that uh, you know the buying power of Hispanics is huge. Yeah. For instance, Hispanics. We never go to the movies alone. We never go out to eat alone. We make money to spend money. And so once uh, the teams are realizing that, uh, you know, marketing-wise, how much they can take advantage of a Spanish broadcast, then when they wake up and see that, then they're going to start employing their broadcasters full-time and doing other things. Because uh, in sales, you see all this uh, economic power Mm. that uh, Hispanic Hispanics in this country live out, you know, about clothing, cars, um, you know. So it was interesting when I was in sales, they would say, no, I don't, you know, I'm not going to spend so much money on Telemundo because, you know. But uh, if you look at the numbers, uh, it's amazing the buying power that Hispanics have in this country. Yeah, you would have thought it's win-win. I mean, at the end of the day, money talks, doesn't it? It's strange to, to think that that wouldn't be the case as of yet. And I guess that leads me on to a point which, following on from last year, where the world saw a watershed moment following the tragic and despicable events in America, which led to obviously racial tensions and rightly the pushing of trying to highlight the prejudices that particularly that black Americans were facing. Let's move on to Latin and Hispanic Americans and specifically within the sport of baseball. Do you think that Hispanic players are given a more difficult time than would be the case? Otherwise, I'm trying to find the right way to word this. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, correctly, the plight of black players has been highlighted. How are things for Latin American players and, again, broadcasters? Look, I want to be honest with you. Um, for Latin American players, uh, at least with the Astros, it, 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 they, um, they have the academies in the Dominican Republic. And they do a great job. I, I, one thing that mm. I didn't mention, I don't want to just... Um, I used to teach English to the D-backs and to the White Sox during their extended spring training. Uh, Is there anything there. you didn't do? I feel like <laughs> you, there's literally nothing you have not done. <laughs> <laughs> I, used, I used to be the ESL teacher uh, at the complex. Yeah. And so... But nowadays, uh, they actually the Astros and some of the teams uh, offer them G, their GED, their high school equivalent diploma and some of them i think uh, allowed to take college classes so uh, and they teach them english they're, they're treated way way better than they were a, a long time ago as my broad, broadcast partner alex tells me and i think um uh, they really focus on the on the players speaking english and once they do that you know the player also the players also look forward to speaking english but but um uh, I, I, they are, and for instance, for the Latin players, 
you have scouts in Latin America, you have scouts in Brazil now. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a lot better than it used to be like 30 years ago or maybe 20 years ago. And I think if you can play ball, no matter what color your skin you are, you're going to make it to the majors. If you can, if you have the skills to do it, you're going to mm -hmm. get to the majors. And I think any organization will make a path for you, for you to make a, the team so it's a, it, it it's a lot better i think it's it's great and i think the players uh, are really embraced and so not just because i work for a major league team i say this but no no but of course yeah it. yeah but but i see it and i remember when i was, used to teach english to the kids where well, those times they were kids they were 16 17 year old kids and and uh they really treated them well but i think now i treat them a lot better and with you know diets and in terms of medical uh, treatment, uh, education, like I said, the education part of it really amazes me where they give them a chance to get their high school equivalent if they don't have it. Yeah. And so that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. It, even if they don't make it to the majors, at least they'll have some kind of English and, and some kind of education to fall on. Yeah, it's preparing them for, for their lives, uh, giving that sort of 360-degree focus rather than just uh, on the baseball. I, I think that's that's really good to hear because especially, like I was saying, that now we are in a time where rightly prejudices are being highlighted and, and hopefully being pushed to the margins. That's exactly the type of thing which I, I love to hear. I think it's, it's, it's great to see the way that, well, speaking from an Astros point of view, it's, like I said, it's great to see the way that, that Hispanic players have long since been embraced at the club and another sort of the, the bedrock of everything that we do now specifically like we said earlier in, in the show regarding this astros team so no that that is superb to hear and you know and what one, one, one yeah. thing i want to want to highlight is that i always remember this back in 2013 12 or 14 jason castro was catching for the astros yeah and the pitcher was wilton lopez okay mm -hmm. And then Castro gets up and goes, goes and talks to Wilton. Okay, Castro went to Stanford. He graduated from Stanford, you know, yeah. one of the most prestigious schools in the United States. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Wilton Lopez from Nicaragua, he barely had a, a house. First thing he did with his paycheck, I think, was go put a down payment for a house for his mom, something like that. And so there, you, there goes uh, Castro from Stanford. To go talk to Wilton, was Wilton Lopez about the next batter, and you that that was pretty cool. That was pretty neat to see, you know, both of them from opposite, uh, from opposite places in the world, mm. uh, in, in education, opposite way of life, and you see them get together. That's just like it's like wow, that's pretty cool that baseball does that to to people Brings them together. And one of the things that I asked Garrett Cole one time, I asked him about what the Astros clubhouse meant in terms of what was going on in the world. He says, it's just a one big happy family, he says, and that's the way it should be. So that was, a, it always sticks to my mind of Castro and Wilton Lopez talking about the next batter. No, I think that's an image which is definitely something to cherish and to, to see how baseball can and does bring everyone together. Last couple of things before I let you go, because I know that you've obviously got to get prepared for today's game. What would be your three favorite ballparks and your three favorite Astros games that you've covered? Well, favorite Astros game was my first one, mm -hmm. the World Series win. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, and uh, what else? Uh, there's a, a Justin Verlander no hitter. Oh yeah, where's Toro? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And in terms um, of ballparks, I, mm -hmm. I love Minute Park. 
that's one. Uh, I also love Miller Park uh, in Milwaukee, but um, the other one that I really like is the, is the uh, you know, Petco Park in San Diego, but uh, mm. it's between San Diego Petco and, and D-backs because uh, that was the first time I broadcasted a game was at uh, Chase Field. Yeah, I think it gives those uh, those memories. Isn't it? Speaking of Minute Maid Park, I've still not actually ever been there, despite being a fan for 21 years. I was looking to set a kind of schedule to go there in the last year, obviously, then the pandemic hit, so it kind of kicked that out the window. And then this year, still uncertain. So I th- I'm hoping that 2022 will finally be my debut at Minute Maid Park. And I really can't wait to, to sample it. If I'm there, I'll, I'll try and seek you out and then say what's up. Because uh, I, I've <laughs> long been an admirer of Minute Maid Park. Obviously, having watched it day in, day out, I, I'm very envious of everyone who gets to spend so much time there. Last thing, let's finish off with if you've got a funny story from your time with the Astros, anything could be absolutely anything could be just could be, could be relating to players, could be relating to the broadcast, whatever you like, just a, uh, a good funny story. Well, there's a lot of them, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this one. Our our, our broadcast booth, uh, our Spanish broadcast booth, is uh, sometimes you know people like to go and say hi. Our culture, our Mexican or Latin culture, is one that uh, you know we embrace each other. And one thing that I like to say is that our broadcast booth sometimes is uh, uh, we should have a reality show there. Now with COVID, we don't get many uh, uh, visitors from the other journalists, but it's pretty funny because we are, you know, we are all, all of us are different. We have different religions, different mentalities. Mm-hmm. And so our broadcast booth, everyone comes in. There's the one who who doesn't believe in religion. There's the one who believes in the Virgin Mary. There's the one who, who you know, who's a real fan. Who's the, There's the one who's I mean, it's just it's just uh, amazing to be in the broadcast. But I wish I could put a camera. I'm, I'm not going to do it, but maybe I will. <laughs> uh, I put four, three or four cameras. It's like a soap opera that goes in there from time to time. But they're not allowed to go in at this time. But uh, it, we have a great time with our with our colleagues, and so and that's one of the things that, that that I really enjoy and that I really miss with this COVID thing: the mm. people that are around you. And so those are the one of the things. I mean, it may not sound so funny right now, but when you're there, oh, I can imagine 13, 14 years, it's pretty amazing what what goes on there. And then Alex plays the role of the bad guy, I play the role of the good guy. <laughs> so it's it, it gets to be pretty funny. And so um, you know, I, I, that's what I miss, and and uh, and that's what I enjoy. Hopefully, before long, it should be back to more normal surroundings. I, I don't know how it's trending there in the UK. It's starting to look a, a bit more upbeat in terms of the pandemic perspective. I very much hope it's the case there as well, so you can get back to having that full experience of the, the broadcast booth and all the crazy goings on, like you said. Thank you so much, Francisco, for joining me on the show today. It's been an enormous pleasure having you on and very, very enlightening, interesting, hearing about your incredible career across many different disciplines and, and all the various different things which you've done. Whereabouts can people find you on social media? Yeah, well, you can find me on uh, Twitter and um, F. Romero Astros or on Instagram, F. Romero Astros also. And so, you know, put, posting stuff up uh, about the players, about the team, about the meals that we get at the stadium. So, you know, just having fun with that. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you all the very best for the rest of the season, particularly starting today with the next game. And let's hope the Astros have a victorious and triumphant season. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I'll be looking forward to meeting you when you come next season, all right? Absolutely. I'll be making sure to make a beeline to where you are. 
Okay. Well, thank you. Thank Keep you so much. We'll see you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Stay right where you are for more Strolls Across the Globe coming up after this. Welcome back to Strolls Across the Globe. What an awesome conversation with Francesca Romero that was. As you can probably tell, I had no idea of the extraordinary breadth of career experience which Romero has, and it was an honour to be able to talk about it with him for your enjoyment. I love getting into the finer details with my guests from the media world on how they were influenced to start their careers and how they made their break in the field. Francisco Romero was no different in this regard and it was fantastic to hear how he saw a once in a career opportunity arise and grabbed it with both hands, never looking back. Starting three separate major league clubs Spanish broadcasts too is an immense achievement and one for which he must rightly be incredibly proud. I found it shocking that in 2021, so many MLB teams have neglected to incorporate a full-time Spanish language broadcast into their ballgame presentations. As Francisco said, there is a huge Hispanic economic market for these teams to tap into, and I am left mystified as to why it is this way. I hope this is something that will change over the coming decade. I've been lucky enough on the show to speak to members of the Astros broadcast teams across the radio and television spectrums, and Francisco Romero is another shining example of the elite quality media personnel working for the club right now. What a privilege for us to be able to experience their knowledge and expertise on an almost daily basis. No prize draw today, but I do have a very exciting Astros Fans UK development, which I am very proud to share with you. Whilst I've always been and continue to be at pains to urge you to get involved with the awesome merch available on the Apollo store, I now also have another merch avenue, which I must request you to get stuck into ASAP, the Astros Fans UK online store powered by Silver FX. I've spent a ton of time on this over the past couple of months and I'm now delighted to be able to present to you a dazzling array of customizable Astros merch designs across numerous items. The products are certainly not limited to the UK market either. This show is called Strohs Across the Globe and I truly mean it. Wherever you are on the planet, be it Houston or Havana, London or Lisbon, Sao Paulo or Sydney, the merch on the Astros Fans UK online store is for you. So head on over to silverfx.co.uk and find slash make the perfect Astros merch item to buy. More designs will be forthcoming for sure, including a new one this very week, so keep your eyes out on that. I'm starting a link tree shortly too, and the store website will very much be part of this. That's all for episode 11. Please make sure you're following me on Twitter, that's at AstrosFansUK, and on Instagram as UKAstrosFans, and on Facebook as George Martin with the Union Jack in Astros colours as the display pick. If you have any Strohs Across the Globe questions, you can also email me at AstrosFansUK at gmail.com. Please, I implore you, also make sure that you follow Apollo Media. That's at Apollo H-O-U on Twitter and Apollo H-O-U on Instagram. And Apollo really are Houston from the heart and soul. All Houston, all original. Thank you again for listening to Strohs Across the Globe. Please subscribe, rate and definitely review the show. I really want to keep this growing from strength to strength and I value your phenomenal support more than you could ever imagine. I look forward to having you all with me again soon for the next episode. And remember, wherever you are across the globe, let's Go Strohs.